we continue our journey here in the book of Genesis and remind yourself that in many ways uh, this is a historical account of man's early sojourn here on this earth. It begins with Adam and Eve, and now there are two first progeny, there are two children, uh, and from them uh, there's going to be the rest of mankind, and it won't take us very long before we get to some severe trouble. Uh, and, and mankind is good at doing things wrong, so we're going to see that mankind does things wrong almost from the get-go, because as we've seen already, in order for love to be real, there must be a choice to not love, and that choice has to be real. It can't just be something in your mind. There needs to be something to choose. Uh, that choice is sin. And so as mankind has the choice and can validate the love that we have for God by choosing to love him or love ourselves or love sin, uh, we, we get then to tell the Lord that our faith is real, our faith in him is real. And, and tonight as we begin chapter 4, we begin with what you might expect if mankind is given choices and there's a broken relationship through sin uh, that has now occurred. Man has a disrupted relationship with God. The conditions were perfect. God creates man in a perfect state of union and harmony with themselves, with, with the Godhead, with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, gives man the opportunity to sin, to make that choice, if you will. Mankind chooses wrong. God, in his marvelous grace, the first thing God does from his side is cover Adam and Eve's sin. He does so with the covering of grace. He does so with blood. Uh, we can be rest assured that God is faithful because he would not have a requirement of mankind uh, without mankind knowing what that requirement is. And so Adam and Eve surely know that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so God makes that clear. And now we get to their children. Very important for us because now what we have is the single smallest unit of human society. We have Adam, we have Eve, and we have their two kids, what we would call a nuclear family, but we also have the world's smallest city, the world's tiniest town. We have a group of people who are, at this point in time, all completely related, uh, but at the same time, now you have a mom and a dad, and you have a couple of sons, and there are choices that are extrapolating uh, every day. They're getting greater and greater. They're expanding outward. And every time there's a decision made and a choice that can be made, you have a choice between right and wrong. And so now we get to what do you do when you have two choices? One of them's right. One of them's clearly wrong. What is man going to do in general? How's man going to respond? And to that end, we see the beginning of that which is innate within humankind, and that is religion. What does man do to try and reach God? Because God has already reached man in that God himself provided a sacrifice for the covering for Adam and Eve's sin. So God has already reached down and done his part. Man's going to very quickly say, well, you know, that's not really what I want to do. I want to relate to you my way. And so we see the beginning of 
the institution of human religion tonight as we pick up the first five verses here in Genesis chapter 4. Would you pray with me? Father, we are again so indebted to you for reminding us of the truth of our own lives, Lord, that we are by nature very religious. We, we want to do things for you. We, we want to try and relate to you our way. Uh, we like beauty over blood. And so, God, we're asking tonight that you would shine a light on your word, that it would strengthen and encourage us, help us to see our own weaknesses and faults, those places where we are uh, blind to how we should relate to you. And so, God, we give you this time and pray that you would bless us as we study your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 here in Genesis 4, and now Adam knew his wife, and this is the first incidence of this euphemism for sexual intercourse between a man and a woman, and so they're going to begin to have children, and I, I want to remind you that this is in an era and a time when God has given a command, be fruitful and multiply, and that is exactly what's going to happen. And so there's no hindrances on it. There, there's no problems with it. Adam and Eve take the, the admonition from the Lord seriously. And so one would expect that they will not just have a couple of kids, but a whole bunch of kids, because they are going to live a very, very, very long time. And they are going to take the serious command to be fruitful and multiply and, and, and run with it. And she conceived and bore Cain. And she said, they said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Now, I want you to notice something here as we begin this passage tonight. They know exactly where the children came from. They, they know what has happened here. The children are, in fact, a blessing from the Lord, that Cain has come from the Lord, and that this is a blessing in their union, and it is a good thing. So there's nothing wrong with Cain, and I think this is an important thing for us to begin to recognize as we look at human nature and human condition, that God creates children innocently. Cain was not born, in essence, differently. He was not born more sinful than Abel. Cain was born, and he was from the Lord, and in that sense, he was, until he sinned, sinless. He was born, in essence, in a neutral state of grace, as are all children. Uh, we call that uh, original sin the sin of Adam, but it's born uh, with us, but it does not come into reality until we act on it. So everyone, as a child, before the Lord, is under grace. And the reason this is important is if you're here and you have lost a child, if you're here and you know someone who's lost a child, if that child has never had the opportunity to cognizantly sin against God, then they are under the grace of God and they're going straight to heaven. Too many people believe that that original sin is original damnation. And while if that child lived to an age when they can make a choice, that would be true, it is not true until they do make that choice. And make sure you have that right in your heart and mind. Otherwise, again, you make God out to be the author of evil. You make God out to be very cruel because there are a lot of children that never make it to, to see really a, a, any type of life on this earth. And if the Lord is going to send them to hell, 
because they have not made a choice. When they do not know what that choice is, then again I say to you, God is not loving, God is not kind, and God does not love all men. But I believe his word is true, and so those children will, as all are who are without sin, because sin is a knowledgeable act against God. And in order for you to take that knowledgeable act, you must know that it's wrong. And so children, before that age, when they can understand that they are a sinner in need of a Savior, are under the grace of God. And they go straight to heaven. David knew this, so much so that his child that was born from an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, born in sin, and if one could say, you know, here's, here's a family tree you don't want to be under, you, you could say that about David and, and their child born uh, between he and Bathsheba. There was a murder involved. There was a lying involved. There was all kinds of manipulation involved in that child coming into this world. And the Lord allowed that child to be taken early. David said this. said, he shall not come to me, but I shall go to him. David understood very clearly that he was one day going to see that child because that child was guiltless. It had absolutely no sin. And so I pray that that brings comfort to maybe those of you that are wondering uh, what what happens in, in those early years, those those moments, may, maybe in childbirth, uh, that child never uh, makes it to a year old. Uh, I believe fully, completely based on Scripture that those children are with the Lord and rest in that. And don't let the enemy beat you up. Don't, don't allow the enemy to destroy you with, with, with the what-ifs because God is good. He is gracious, he is kind, and he cannot be any other way. So this child, Cain, is going to be responsible for a whole bunch of problems. But when he's born, he starts with a fresh slate, his own choices, his own abilities. And then she bore again, and this time his brother, Abel. And now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a tiller of the ground. And so we, we have two very noble trades. We have a farmer, we have a rancher, we have someone who raises animals and someone who raises vegetables. In that sense, we got a carnivore and a vegan. We, we, have, we have those two sides clearly defined. One, and remember at this time, uh, God has not given the command for mankind to eat animals. And so everybody's a vegetarian, but there is death. But that death is for the purpose of covering sin, man's sin. So I believe at this point in time, the only death that's occurring is that which is going to be determined to be natural, which we're going to see the examples of how long that took in humankind shortly, but is for the purpose of providing the covering for those sins that are committed by Adam and Eve and their progeny, their kids. And so verse 3 goes on to say, And in the process of time... It came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Now, again, it it had to be known in order for this to be wrong. In order that this story is included in your Bible, Cain had to know that he was not to bring anything other than a bloody sacrifice. Otherwise, again, God's not being fair. God is not being just. He's allowed Cain to think something that Cain shouldn't have thought without knowledge of it. 
Cain knew that what God required was a sacrifice of faith. But he brings an offering of the fruit of the ground. He, he goes to Harry and David's and he gets a really nice basket. And it's got all kinds of like flower arrangements and all kinds of wonderful pretty things. The Hebrew words that are used here kind of indicate that it was, it was a beautiful offering. It was something that you would have looked at and said, wow, that is absolutely gorgeous. But it's also absolutely the opposite of what God had required. It was pretty, but it wasn't profitable. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. And so these first five verses. And remind yourself that we have some understanding that they did not completely have because the Messiah had not come. But the promise of it in, in that atonement, because remember that what has happened now is that covering, when you see that word here, it is the Hebrew word kippur, it means to cover or to atone for. And so Adam and Eve have had their sins atoned for, they've been covered, and the cost of that covering was the death of an innocent animal. That has now been transmitted to their sons, Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel know, both of them, that that's what God requires, that's what God wants, and that's the only thing that God accepts. And here begins man's quest to be right with God on his own terms. Try, trying to make a way by works, beautiful works. And, and while I, I don't want to, to bash, I do want to point out that, that some of the most ornate places of worship that have nothing to do with God seem very beautiful to our human flesh, but have been places where the world's most heinous evil have occurred. You travel to the cathedrals of Europe, when you travel to the cathedrals in Mexico, you will find buried in the catacombs the evidence of that wrongdoing. Children born between priests and nuns, whole sections that are small infants, all kinds of things that you look at and go, how could that possibly be? And yet it's true. On the outside, a beautiful cruciform cathedral. We were living in Europe. We traveled to the beautiful Bavarian city. Uh, really, it's in Austria, but it's on the edge of Bavaria. A city that, you've pro if you've seen Sound of Music, you've seen Salzburg, Austria. As you travel through the city of Salzburg, there's a Salzburger Cathedral. Beautiful. Cruciform, shape of a cross. When you walk in, 5,000 people can sit inside of that cathedral. The early stage of it, more than 1,000 years old. But inside of it, Lord Beetroot would come down from his castle, Fortress Hohen Salzburg, and hold inquisitions against the peasants and find out if they had given sufficient indulgences to have their sins forgiven. Beautiful cathedral. 
but the peasants who couldn't pay lost their lives. They were imprisoned in Fortress Hohen Salzburg. Many of them tortured. There's a museum of instruments of torture inside of that castle today, most of which were invented by the cardinals that occupied that very beautiful church. The reason I'm saying that is you can lose sight of the grace of God if what you think is, look at the beautiful building. Look at the incredible art. Look at the offering that's very appealing to the eye. It's absolutely spectacular. Now having said that, I believe with all my heart that there were genuine believers and are today genuine believers that love the Lord, that worship in those places. But you can get caught up in trying to relate to God in a way that God has not asked us to relate to him. There is only one way that we as sinful mankind can relate to God, and that is by blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Without the Savior dying on Calvary's cross, we are still in our sins. Without the gift of faith that results in the grace of God, you cannot be saved. And so God's made it clear that relationally we relate to him through the blood, not through beautiful buildings. Buildings like this one can be helpful. They can be a quiet respite away from the things, the busy things of life to where we can come and sit and we have marvelous technology and all kinds of things that help us visually. But they are not a substitute for the blood of the cross. And if we were to come here and just have a beautiful service and we leave out the sacrifice that required blood, then we have come for a reason that cannot save. And so here we find the beginnings of man trying to reach up to God instead of accepting God, reaching down to earth, which is exactly what the third chapter of John said Jesus is. He is God's heaven-sent final payment, final offering of his own blood so that we can relate to God. Notice what happens here. So our relationship is not by religious activity. Our relationship is not by beauty. Our relationship is not through statues. Our relationship is not through nice lighting. Our relationship is not through technology. Our relationship only is by the blood of the Lamb. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 reminds us that for by grace you have been saved through faith, And that is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. It's not of works, lest any of us should boast. In other words, there's nothing we can do to impress God that we really love him. We we do our works because he saved us, not to gain his favor. You have his favor by grace and through faith. You don't get his favor by doing things for him. And so here Cain begins this long string of world religions that try and impress God with a beautiful offering. And God's not after that. Galatians chapter 3. 
uh, reminds us much the same thing. Verse 16, knowing that, knowing that man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we who have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. In other words, what Cain is doing in bringing something that God doesn't want is saying, I want you to relate to me the way I want to relate to you. Now, there's many things that he could have been thinking. Number one, if he is a tiller of the ground and his brother is a keeper of the sheep, of the animals, then every single time Cain needs to get right with the Lord, he needs to go see his brother. I'm imagining there's a little bit of animosity going on there. I'm imagining there's a little bit of envy that's going on there. I'm imagining it's like, what, is, is my offering not as good as my brother's? And the fact of the matter is, there is no offering that's acceptable to the Lord except a bloody sacrifice. You may not like that. A lot of people don't. When you talk about the blood of the cross, they're like, ooh. And admittedly, it's, it's horrific what happen, happened to Jesus on the cross, but it was also necessary because Christ had to die in order for our sins to be dealt with. The sacrifice had to be made, that final atonement. Hebrews chapter 11, there in verse 6, without faith, yet is impossible to please God. No matter how beautiful your religion is, if you have a gold-gilded Bible, if we were to line the inside of this sanctuary with pictures of who we thought the saints were, if we were to stack up artifacts of every type of thing that had anything to do with the Bible in here, And while maybe some people would be brought to a place to where they could see the cross and understand it, without faith it is impossible to please God. No amount of our works, no amount of our working at it, that guilt, that shame that was produced when they fell had to be dealt with, and it could only be dealt with with innocent blood. And what happens is that you begin to worship the Lord. But they that worship Him, worship Him in spirit and in truth. And the truth of the matter is, God doesn't want our fruit baskets. God doesn't want our religious activity. He couldn't care less about it. He's not asking you to re-crucify yourself. Christ died for your sins. It was sufficient. You believe in him by faith. That is all that is necessary for your redemption. But Cain's like, "Ah, I just don't like it. It's not what I want to do. That's not how I want to relate. I, I want to have a relationship with you on my terms. Can I tell you, I talk to an awful lot of people who want to try and relate to God on their terms. They want to try and tell God what it is that they will do that they think should make them acceptable to Him. One of the things that often is done is 
well, I really don't want the whole Word of God applied to my life. I'm going to remove this sinful behavior or that one, and that is no longer sin to me. I'm going to relate to God, and I get to keep my sin too. That's one way. A lot of people reach that place to where if I just do works of some kind. You know, there are people that believe that if you've attended church, you know, for X number of years, that you're automatically a believer. There are people that believe that if you have a certain translation of the Scriptures, that you're a believer. There are people that believe if you give enough money that you're a believer. There are people that believe if you serve in children's ministry for long periods of time, you have to be a believer. Can I tell you that can be religion as well? It might be the outflow of you actually loving the Lord, and likely for most people actually is, but you are not saved because of the Bible you own. You are not saved because the church is beautiful. You're not saved because you give. You're not saved because you're a missionary. You are not saved because you do good works. You are not saved because you can quote the Bible chapter and verse, cover to cover. You realize that without faith you could know that book cover to cover and still not be saved. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You must relate to God by faith. Cain doesn't want to do that. He does not want to take God's simple instruction, which is, I need a lamb slaughtered. Cain, you you don't realize, you, you don't see why I need this, but there has to be innocent blood to cover your sin. You see, Adam and Eve kind of tried to cover up their own sin, right? They made garments out of leaves. Said, look, this will do. We're just naked. Now there's a much deeper problem than you're just naked. Yes, the guilt and the shame, that's real. But you need my grace. God's saying to you, look, you need my grace. They were two men on two roads. Abel representing that which is acceptable to God which is a right relationship with Him. Grace through faith. Innocent blood is how that occurs. And Cain representing that which is not acceptable to God, which is religion, works of the flesh, beautiful, but nothing more than a carnal attempt to cover it all up. That's what religion is. And I know that sounds harsh, but that's the picture here. There will be people who have attended all kinds of religious services for a majority of their life. It's what Jesus said. Many in that day will say, Lord, Lord, have I not done great and mighty things in your name? And he's going to say to them, depart, for I have never known you. You've never related to me by grace. You brought me all kinds of offerings. You've done wonderful things. You, you built a whole new children's wing on, on, onto the church with funds that you donated, but you did not relate to me by the sacrificial blood of my own son. You didn't come to me my way. You came your way. That's what Cain's doing. He's saying, look, I, 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 this whole blood thing, forget that. I want a flower arrangement. I want something that looks nice. I'm tired of getting dirty. I'm tired of getting messy. You know, relating to God is messy. 
You know why? Because you're going to have to get cleaned up. The dirt, the mud, the junk, the stuff that's on you, God's going to clean that stuff up. And it's going to, he's going to prune your tree. He's going to do some stuff that maybe you're not going to really like. Cain's name actually means acquisition or gotten. And, and from Eve's perspective, she's naming her children, which was common during that time. We see it throughout the Old Testament uh, of naming children after some significant event in their life or something that happens early on. And, and so I, I really honestly believe myself that Cain gets this name because Eve is saying, it's my firstborn, okay, here's the child of promise. And the reason I say that is we're always looking for the short way out, aren't we? Don't most of it, I, maybe you don't, but I, I like the short path. I, I'd like things to take as little time as possible. So she's saying, I got one son. He's the child of promise. This is all going to be just like it was. And remember when I said sin is costly? Sin is real costly. It's not that easily dealt with. And so it wouldn't be the firstborn. It's going to be the secondborn that's eventually going to be uh, the child through whom uh, the Messiah would come. That uh, His name, Abel's name, actually means vapor. It's interesting how James put that there in James 4. Um, we, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but what we do know is our life is as a vapor. And so he's kind of a picture uh, of that exact process in our lives that eventually you and I, we're going to disappear. We're going to be here for a while. We're going to disappear. Abel knows that. Adam and Eve know that. It's like these, these children were on loan from God in that sense. And it gives a picture of the brevity of life. And when you understand the brevity of life, you want to make life matter. But these two beautiful kids, I, I'm sure when they were babies, you know, Eve and Adam were holding them and there was not a whole lot of difference between the countenance between these two kids. I don't think they were looking and going, man, this one's going to be, you know, the child of the seed of the serpent and this one's going to be a child of the seed of the woman. I don't think they were sitting around thinking that. I think, man, they're both our kids. I mean, come on, they got to turn out Okay. But they were on two very different roads. Works of the flesh, the works of the spirit. And and honestly, that same division in all of humanity still exists. When you think about people that you know, you have people that are people of faith, and you have people that are people of the flesh. You have people that love the Lord, and you have people that love religion. People that have a genuine relationship with God and people who want to relate to God in a way that they like. Starts right here in just after Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden. You see two beautiful boys, both sinners in need of a Savior. One of the things that you can learn from this passage is that every last one of us must come to faith by ourselves. Your salvation is not transmittable. You have no capacity to pass along actual salvation to anyone else. Everyone must choose this day whom they're going to serve. You have to make a decision to follow Christ. Now, if you want your children to have the best opportunity, then the closer you follow Christ, the closer they are to Christ all the time because they're watching mom and dad live out their faith. But your children irregardless of how you raise them, still have to make a choice to follow God themselves. 
You want to encourage them in that. We don't know what went wrong here. We're not told. But we can be fairly sure that they grew up in the same home. We can be fairly sure that Adam and Eve weren't favoring one over the other, or worse yet, trying to cause one to stumble and one to rise. So again, this is the power of choice in our children's lives. Abel's the first name there in Hebrews 11, the first name in the line of faith. By faith, Abel. It's the first one. So we know where he hung his hat. We know what the Lord uh, accomplished through his life. And I, I think you can see a picture fairly readily that in whatever instruction was given to them that, you know, he was saying, look, this is what the Lord wants. This is what I'm going to do. And so he relates to God on God's terms. He provides that shedding of blood. He provides, in essence, what God has asked for, which was an atonement. And it wouldn't, it's not going to be until after the flood when we get to chapter 9 that we're actually going to see animals, their lives taken for food. So there, there was, this was a serious thing. These, these were, fan- I, don't, I don't know how many of you, you know, living here in L.A., there's not a whole lot of people that have any, you know, a, any alignment with 4-H. Do we have any former 4-H people? In, we do have some, praise the Lord. You know, one of the things, you know, my, my aunts, uncles, cousins, my family, you know, huge in 4-H. I mean, we had cows and sheep and everything else. One of the great tragedies was you put all this time and effort and energy into raising up, whether it was a cow or a sheep or a goat or whatever, and you're raising this tiny animal up from its very birth, and, and you, you bring it and you, you do a 4-H show at the fairgrounds and somebody buys it and then you see out in the parking lot Fred's Slaughterhouse. And it's like, there goes your cow that you've named and walked around and, you know, it's like, they're going to eat Betsy. And you're like bummed out. Why? Because you actually have a relationship with that animal. That's who these people were. So it was not a simple, well, let's just go out and grab one of the sheep. They were naming them. They were, these were family friends, in essence, that had to die. So make sure you understand, this was a horrific thing that Abel had to do. Every time there was a necessity for a slaughter of an animal, he was the one who raised them. He was the one who walked with them. He was the one that called them by name. And so what you see here is not only the cost of sin, but the the cost to the individual who wants that sin atoned. You've got to give something up. It's going to cost you to follow the Lord. You're going to have to give up the old ways. Abel's saying, I'm going to have to let go of one of my precious lambs in order for me to be right, my family to be right, my brother to be right, my mother to be right, it's going to cost me something. Faith does cost you something, but it does not cost you something to receive it. It is costly because if it's valuable, you will do your part to show the Lord, I believe, I trust you, I'm going to walk in your ways. And Abel the shepherd does that. 
we, we in that sense, have to do things God's way. We, we don't get an opportunity to tell God what it is that we want to do. We come to God on his terms. Very often when I talk to people, well, what do you think it means to be, you know, to be a child of God? And it's very interesting when you, when you ask, you know, it's like, well, what is that? What does it mean to have a relationship with God? And very often there's all kinds of actually good things. Well, it's like I go to church and I read my Bible and this is absolutely true. Those are good things to do. And I'll ask them, I said, do you think that you're going to heaven because you read your Bible? And I've had people tell me yes. Do you think you're going to heaven because you go to church? Well, yeah. Worst one that I hear, and I hear it fairly, well, I'm an American. What has that got to do with anything? You see, you relate to God, God's way. As God gives instructions, Cain is now actively disobeying those instructions. He's like, yeah, I don't like this anymore. In other words, his heart wasn't right. It wasn't that he didn't know how to do the sacrifice. He didn't want to do the sacrifice. For whatever reason, he was tired of it. Maybe he's just sick of having to, you know, sacrifice the lamb. We, we don't know, but we know this. He's now going to bring something to God that he knows God doesn't want. And what do you think God's going to it's, it's not okay. God's not after your money. God's not after your money. God's not after your religious works. God wants your heart. He wants you to relate through Jesus. Seems no good reason that as Cain comes, he kind of represents in, in some ways people that, you know, look at life through a naturalistic lens. It's like, well, you know, I mean, if slaughtering an animal is good, then a basket of flowers, because they don't have souls or minds or anything, yeah, that would, that, that's got to be okay with God. I mean, come on, he's, he's got to accept that. Nope. That's why when he looked on his own son, he said, Behold, my son in whom I am well pleased. Only one way, only one truth, only one life. And so God rejects Cain's gift, as beautiful as it was. And it's interesting that his countenance changed. You know, very often when people figure out that they, they have to relate to God on God's terms, their countenance changes. I was like, really? Yeah, really, you, you, you need to come to faith through Jesus. They want to relate through education. They want to relate through science. Or they want to relate some other way. Very often they become exactly as Abel was. Resentful. Bitter. Hate-filled. Angry. Spiteful. Because we're going to see what's going to come from this. It's very clear. Jesus said it. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And he would go on to further codify that whole process in saying, if you hate your brother in your heart you've committed murder against him 
In other words, hate's the beginning of murder. When you begin to go down that road of relating to God on your own terms, when it becomes a religious work, then all of a sudden you find yourself in some place you never thought you'd go. And so what we see here is religious activity versus what we could classify as real worship. This first worship service. This is almost the description of the first worship service. And it's interesting because the, the word worship uh, in both the, the Hebrew language, shaka, and the Greek language, proskaneo, uh, means to have a heart that is bowed down. It, it means to point yourself towards the ground. And from the ground, guess what happens? Everything is up. Amen? So if your heart is towards the ground, if your face is towards the ground, then the only way you can see is by lifting up your eyes to see from whence your help comes. When you have a bowed down heart, when you're worshiping the Lord, when you come to God on His terms, His way, then He will take His rightful place. But if you try and stand up and approach God, if you try and stand in His presence, this is why when you look at the the angels in heaven, when you look at the 24 elders in heaven, when you look at that heavenly scene, what are they doing? They're on their face before the Lord. They're worshiping God. They're saying, no one should stand in your presence, O Lord. You see, Cain wanted to stand. He wanted to proudly say, this is what I want to do for you, God. And the Lord Jesus is saying, this is what I've done for you, Jeff. I've already done what is necessary. I want you to accept it by faith. I'm not interested in your religious activity. I want real worship, in other words. That's why as we've been studying through the book of Romans, remember that Romans chapter 12 begins with a very simple statement. Present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable which is your reasonable act of worship. You see, the picture there is we're coming to God and we're saying, God, nevertheless, not my will, not just will, Lord, your will be done. Cain wants to do it his way. Abel says, I'll do it your way, Lord. I'll trust in your redemption, in other words. This worship service was, it wasn't beautiful. There, there was no gold. It was, it was messy. It was ugly. But it was really pleasing to the Lord. And you can imagine when Abel came, he was really picturing a, a day and time that John the Baptist would actually codify for us. Remember what John said? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What would happen to that Lamb? He would give his life a ransom for many. Exactly what Isaiah prophesied. The chastisement of my peace, your peace, our peace would be upon him. He would be bruised for our iniquities. By his stripes we would be healed. 
he truly would cry out from the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why? Because your sin was put on Jesus and he died in your place. He shed his blood. It was a mess. It was horrific. But that's the only thing that was acceptable to God the Father. It wasn't that Jesus could, well, I meant to die. It wasn't that the Lord Jesus said, well, in my mind, I've already died. And so we're going to make a beautiful altar right here, and it'll be the altar to win in my mind I died. No, it was a rough-hewn wooden cross to which Jesus Christ, God's own Son, was nailed after he'd been beaten nearly to death. And the reason this is so important is real worship always gets back to the blood. If there's no blood, we aren't worshiping the king. If we, if we don't really see that, then we've kind of missed, in essence, the, the centrality of the gospel. The centrality of the gospel plainly declares that without that shedding of blood, your sins are not remitted. The price has not been paid. You are not justified. There's no propitiation for your sin. And so, religious activity tries to clean that up. Tries to make it beautiful. That's why we celebrate at the Lord's table. That's why we come back to the cross. A church that doesn't come back to the cross, I think, is on a, is on a really bad journey. You need to come back to the cross. Because Cain tried to escape it. And it cost him. God actually rejects that beautiful religious service. And again, I, I don't want to bash, so I'm not going to go into details, but put in your own mind. There's a lot of things that we could do in here to kind of spruce the place up religiously. Couldn't we? There's a lot of things we could do. That's not what God requires. One thing have I required, and that will I seek after. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And the only way to do that is by grace. Through faith in that sacrifice. The only way to approach the throne of God. It's always been the only way. One of the beauties of the history of the Old Testament, the sacrifices, the tabernacle, the temple, they were bloody. We travel to Israel, we, we go to the Valley of Temnah. And there in the Valley of Temnah, there's a, there's a replica of the tabernacle. And depending on which book we do next, we'll show you some pictures of that. But, but it was not a pretty thing. It was a bloody thing. There in the courtyard, animals everywhere. The attending priest slaughtering those animals and bleeding sheep and things being burnt on the altar. It was ugly. And then on the Day of Atonement, on Yom Kippur, that one day of the year, two goats are offered up. One the scapegoat and the 
priest puts his hands on the head of that goat and announces the sins of Israel and the sins of his own family and sends it away for it to die in the wilderness so the sins are gone and not remembered anymore. And then there's the one that's throat is slit and its blood is put in a basin and in order to approach the holy God, in order to worship God, in order to go before the mercy seat, in order to receive mercy from God, he's got to go with blood. Cain didn't want to do that. Could I bring some flowers instead? God doesn't want flowers. He wants real worship. He wants us to come to that place. And of course, Jesus was and is the final picture of that, the final sacrifice. And I, I praise God that I, I praise God that we're not atoning anymore. That we're not bringing a lamb up here on the platform. And what a horrific sight that must have been. I can't even imagine. I've gotten to where I don't even like squishing bugs anymore. I, I can't even imagine. I praise God that, that the Lord Jesus, that's why Peter there in 1 Peter chapter 1 gives such a beautiful picture of this. You see, we were redeemed. Now Peter said there in verse 18 of 1 Peter 1, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. Like silver and gold. Isn't it interesting that under the influence of the Holy Spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit of God, Peter says, God's not interested in your silver and gold for redemption. There's no amount of it. There's no amount of the beauty of silver and gold. And notice what he goes on to say. From your aimless conduct received by tradition. He's saying, look, you, you make these wonderful, beautiful places. Herod's temple was absolutely mind-bogglingly beautiful. There's a miniature model of it in Jerusalem. And when you look at it, this incredible edifice, nearly a hundred feet tall, hammered gold on the surface of it, Shining in the sun, Corinthian bronze doors so that they look like they glowed in the morning sun. It was beautiful, but completely worthless without the blood. You weren't redeemed by silver and gold. It wasn't by religious tradition that you learned from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish, without spot. For indeed, he was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead, gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God. Not your religious works, your faith and your hope. In the fullness of time, God's going to take care of all the dying lambs. Jewish historian Josephus, who was also a Roman, 
It's responsible for much of what we know about the, the Roman world and the Jewish world at the time of Christ, shortly thereafter. But as he records, uh, just a little less than two decades after Jesus visited the temple, that some 200,000 lambs were slaughtered on Passover. That's a lot of death and a lot of blood. Praise God. Praise God. Because at the time, there were only tens of millions of people on the earth. There's almost 7 billion people on the earth. Can you imagine the amount of death that would be going on today to cover for all of our sin? There's only one that needed to die, and he died so that we might live. That's why we are ambassadors for Christ. That's why Paul would write to him who knew no sin, he was made sin. He became sin for us so that we might be the righteousness of God. We might have God's righteousness put in our account. We made him to be sin for us. And he died so that we could live. You see, religion says, I'll relate to God my way. Relationship says, I've already related to you. All you need to do is believe in Him. Believe in Him. Amen? We just stand. We're going to pray. Worship team's going to come back out. And again, I want to remind you, we're going to leave from here. And once we finish in song, we're going to go straight over to the fellowship hall for those that can stay for a little bit. And Bless some kids, but let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you it is no longer the blood of bulls and goats. Lord, thank you that we're not once a year for a very short period of time being, being made righteous by the death of an innocent animal, that you, Jesus, are King, the Lord of heaven and earth, the one who was and is and is to come. Lord, that the price that you paid, your own blood, was sufficient that we might be redeemed. Lord, we thank you for the faith to believe in that sacrifice that you made. And Lord, we ask that you'd help us to be pure worshipers in spirit and in truth. God, that our hearts would be bowed down, but our countenance would be up, that we'd be uplifted, looking at heaven from whence our help comes. We're grateful to you, God, for what you did. Lord, how you've pictured uh, the work of the cross in, in the very early stages of what we call the Bible. Lord, the, these, this first book of Moses. Lord, you pictured what would be necessary for us to be right in your eyes. It's always been that blood. We thank you, Jesus, that you shed your blood so that we who know you uh, can relate to you and your sacrifice in our place. Thank you for that faith. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.